Well, what in the world is really happening? With everything that's happening, I'm going to ask you again, what's really happening? I want to announce that today I'm beginning a brand new series entitled Future Shock Now. We're going to approach the Christmas season a little different. It's very important that we maintain certain beliefs that we never allow the integrity of those beliefs to be eroded. Among them, the virgin birth of Christ. The reality of the birth of Christ. The reality of the crucifixion. And I emphasize again the reality of the resurrection. I say that because you would think that it wouldn't need to be said in church. But there are churches all over this world today. Prominent churches here in America and other parts of the world. That no longer believe what I've just told you. They equivocate on some of the essential components of the gospel message. For example, was Jesus really born of a virgin? That's the question that many of them ask. And they say it's no longer important that you even believe that it is true that he was. Others of them, was Jesus even born at all? You have professors at Yale and Harvard who teach theology that are atheist. Please explain that to me. And they debate the actual birth of Christ and say it's a metaphor. Didn't really happen. Just a metaphor. Well, if you undermine the sanctity of beliefs like that, you no longer have a Christian foundation and a biblical worldview upon which to build your faith. And the entire Christian faith will be set adrift. So it's very important that we remember these sacred moments and Christmas is, can you believe it? Two more Sundays after today and we'll be looking at Christmas. Unbelievable how close it is. This year has been a bear. But maybe it's because it's been so intense, it's gone by so fast. It has for me at least. Oh my heavens. Oh, how many of you glad 2020 is almost over? <laughs> I would say high five your neighbor and say thank God, but just air five them or something, you know. Amen. The theme for this year has been vertical. The only way it was survived is to go vertical. And keep our attention on Christ. But I'm going to begin a series today that has to do with the things that have been happening all year long. We've been in a revival nearly the entire summer up till now. Last Sunday was our last Sunday with Tony Suarez at this time. And I've only got a couple of Sundays after today. I'll preach today and next Sunday about signs at the end of time and this Wednesday night too. This Wednesday night, I will be preaching about the four Babylons in scripture. I promise you, you will not want to miss it. Bring your family, bring your fans. If there ever was a time to be in church, it's right now. Because we're going to look at what the Bible says about the signs of the last days. The title of the series is taken from a book written by a man by the name of Alvin Toffler. 
He wrote the book several decades ago. He was a futurist, a thinker. And he wrote the book Future Shock, in which he foresaw a time coming. And this was before PCs, that is before personal computers, before iPhones, before electronic banking, before any of these things. He saw a time coming when things would change so dramatically, so quickly, that people could no longer adapt. And he called it Future Shock. Toffler was actually describing a time that was foretold in the Bible. Gabriel, the archangel, told Daniel in the Old Testament. In Daniel 12, verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words that I've just given you. Daniel was a prophet, a seer. He served under Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Belteshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Also under Darius, the head of the Medo-Persian Empire. And he saw a panoramic range of visions that encompassed from his time until the end. In those visions, there were some things that God told him, you seal these things up because the time is not yet. And in verse number four of Daniel 12, shut up the word, seal the book until the time of the end, when many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Just to show you that we could be living in times when this book is being unsealed. In 1980, knowledge science tells us was doubling every 12 months. In this year, it is estimated that knowledge is now doubling every 12 hours. No wonder people can't adapt. In Matthew 25 and verse number 6, Jesus spoke about that time when the book would be unsealed. And Jesus taught his disciples three prominent things. He taught them that, number one, he was going to return. Number two, he taught them that the end of the age would come. And then number three, to the shock and mortification of the Jewish people, he told them, their nation was going to be destroyed. Three separate events. And this is what he said in Matthew 25 and verse 6 about his coming. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. My subject today, the first in the series that I've entitled Future Shock Now is It's Almost Midnight. It's almost midnight. Father, would you speak to us? Open our understanding to the word of God. Deal with our hearts. Prepare us. Excite us. Enthuse us. Enthrall us. With a promise of who you are and what you have in store for your children. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody shouted and said, Amen. That wasn't a shout, a shout, Amen. There we go, Amen. It's almost midnight. It is not my intention, and I have not come here today to scare anybody. I say that very sincerely. If you're watching at home, it is not my intention to frighten a single person. It is to hopefully find some answers. Everybody is asking could this possibly be the last days? We're going to take a look at the Bible and see if we can find some answers to that question. Before I do, let me give you some 
parameters for our study. The book of Genesis is the book of beginning. The book of Revelation is the book of endings. And notice I said the book of Revelation. Often in our conversation, and I've done it, you've done it, because there are so many visions in the book of Revelation, we speak of the book of Revelations, plural. That's not its name. The name is singular, doesn't have an S on the end of it. There is only intended to be one great surpassing, all-encompassing revelation found in the book of Revelation. And that is the one described in Revelation 1 and 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which God gave him to show his servants things which shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. It is both a revelation given to us by our Lord. But it is also about our Lord. You see... Many people misunderstand the book of Revelation and they think it's a book of drama about Satan at his worst. It's not. It's a supernatural drama about our Lord and Savior at his best. And that's important. So they look for the Antichrist when they ought to be looking for the real one. And they look for the tragedies when they ought to be looking for the triumphs. And they look for the problems when they ought to be looking for the promise. Amen. In the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer is portrayed in all of his glory. In a way that you will not find anywhere else in the Bible. And the key to understanding the book of Revelation is to not approach this book only wanting to know what it teaches About the end or to gain a preview of what is coming. It is rather to approach this book with a greater desire and passion to know him. It's a sealed book. That means it is beyond the ability of mortal beings to understand it unless the lamb unseals it for you. Only the lamb is worthy. To loose the seven seals. And he alone. Can open its understanding to you. But you don't seek. To know the meaning. Of what is sealed. You seek to know the lamb. Who can break the seals. So important. Because if all you're looking for. Is a preview of the end time. And what it's going to be like. And you're going to. You know, look for a 90 second clip on the end of time like you would preview a movie. You're going to miss the whole basis of what is about to be unfolded there. Because it's really about Christ. And Jesus and the Apostle Paul actually spent a great deal of time talking about the end and what would happen As the end of the age approached, the signs they gave mankind are meant to serve as indications that we are entering into the era of the book of Revelation and that Christ is going to be revealed to us in a more meaningful manner than at any other time in the history of the world. And it is then that you discover secondarily to its main purpose That not only will the end reveal him, it's going to reveal these other matters as well. The question cannot help but arise, especially if you fall into two categories. 
One is you're a believer, you've served Christ, and you know what I'm saying, and what I've said thus far is true. The other is if you're distant from God, but you know about Christ, and you've been in church before and heard the word of God taught. Maybe that's a backslider. Maybe it's someone who's allowed their experience to become lukewarm, but you're not fervent in your passion for God anymore. You cannot help but in the times we are living in right now, ask this vital question. Is this the end of time? Are we approaching the end of time? Perhaps you're aware of the doomsday clock. The doomsday clock is a clock that is put on the cover of the bulletin, the atomic bulletin of nuclear scientists. This is a magazine published not by church people, but by the physicists and scientists of the world to tell us how close they believe the end of the world is. And they take into consideration a number of things, including the tensions in the world, the political dynamics, nuclear threats, terrorism, disease, famine, on and on. And they set the cover of the clock every January. On the cover of their magazine. January 23rd of this year. And I mentioned the date so that you'll realize it was pre-COVID. They set the clock at 1 minute 40 seconds to midnight. Midnight being the end. 1 minute 40 seconds. I wonder what kind of an adjustment they're going to make next month. After we've gone through COVID. You say what does that mean? Give me some kind of a metric. To be able to measure that by, okay, I will. 1991, the clock was set at 17 minutes to midnight. We're at a minute and 40 seconds now to the end of the world, whatever that means. And this year alone, we have had to deal with coronavirus, the economic fallout caused by the virus, horrific and massive fires, diseases, famines, earthquakes, tsunamis, Hurricanes lined up like bowling pins. Pestilence, disease, and even a plague of locusts that decimated the Horn of Africa and the Middle East that the news media told us was like a biblical plague. That's what they said, not me. Amen. In Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 17, Luke 21, again in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 3 and 4, and again the book of Revelation, we read numerous signs that point us toward the time in which we're living right now. I'm going to begin where Jesus talks about this, Matthew 24, verses 3 through 8. Jesus has just come to the Mount of Olives, and the Bible tells us, They have been across the valley of Kidron in the Temple Mount area. And the disciples are gazing back now at the Temple Mount area. And they said to Jesus these words. They said, see you not all of these buildings? I mean, like, wow, Jesus, look at this. And Jesus sits down on the Mount of Olives and says to his disciples, you see these stones here? There's not going to be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he prophesied the imminent destruction of Jerusalem, which, by the way, occurred in AD 70. So they get to the Mount of Olives and the disciples ask him privately. Notice that privately. Say, we got some stuff you 
been teaching about, we wanted to ask you for clarification on. This is one of them. Tell us when shall these things be? When will this city be destroyed, the temple? And we've got two more we're going to throw into this mix too. Because you keep talking about the sign of your coming, you're going to come. And when you come at the end of the world, that like a fisherman hauls in the fish and separates the good from the bad. And the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. That there's, we're coming to a time when you're going to cause mankind to be separated. He will be rewarded. Uh, the parable of the talents, the whole thing about you're going to be dealt with according to your stewardship, faithfulness, or lack thereof. So we want to ask you three questions. When is this city going to be destroyed, this temple be destroyed? Number two, privately, when are you coming back? Because we don't even understand what you mean. That time they didn't know he was going away, though he had told them repeatedly that he was. And then number three, what will be the sign of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said, sign number one, take heed that no one deceives you. First sign, deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Remember, they asked three questions. When will this city be destroyed? Number two, when are you coming back? Number three, when will the end be? Those are three separate events. Jesus said, I'm going to give you some signs. What I've just told you is the events that will happen leading up to and prior to the end. But somewhere before that, he's coming. And somewhere before that, this city and this temple will be destroyed. He goes on to say, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And we always look at that. And you know, words have changed meaning over the years, right? And since the King James translation of the Bible occurred, there are several words in the Bible that the meaning has, has taken on a nuanced inflection of something different than what you and I uh, think that the scripture is saying. And for example, sorrows to us means sadness. That's not the word that's used there. The word used there is the Greek word for labor pain. My wife had two kids. They've had multiple children. And their kids are now having kids. <laughs> and not only that... Uh, you know, we got kids stacked up like, you know, almost like dominoes now. Our family is getting big. My quiver's getting full, <laughs> to quote the psalmist. And I can tell you, as any woman can describe to any man in this building, that when once labor begins, it doesn't come with a blinding flash of intensity that remains until the baby's born. Uh uh. Pain hits, and then it gets better, goes away. But what they don't do at the hospital is give you two Excedrin and say, go home, you'll be fine in the morning. Because when the pains start coming, they come, get closer together, closer together, closer together, until the pain doesn't let up until the baby is born. And so Jesus described a time 
when you would see all these things happen and get closer together and closer together and closer together and so forth until we reach the very end. So it's not that there haven't been wars and famines. Yeah, there's been all that stuff before. But he described one specific point in time when there would be a dramatic acceleration of these things. And he said, that's what you need to watch for. And sign number one is deception and absence of truth. Again, he said these words, take heed that no one deceives you. Have you noticed that truth doesn't exist anymore? Seriously. Look at the news. There isn't news any longer. You haven't seen news on the media in years. You younger folk don't even know what I'm talking about. You're immediately saying, oh yeah, I see the news every day at six o'clock. No, you don't. You see opinions. I'm old enough that I remember Walter Cronkite. Chad Chad Hutley, David Brinkley, anybody out there? Mike Wallace. Anybody remember? That's when the news was the news, my friend. They told you what was happening and let you figure out what that meant. Now then they give you their version of what is happening. And depending upon which channel you watch, all you got to do is flip to another channel and they'll give you an interpretation of the same event that's 180 degrees different than the one you just listened to. They don't let you make up your own mind anymore. Talking heads explain it for you. Amen. And here's the real problem with that. If you hear it spoken on television, it's got to be true, right? Amen. Guess what? That same spirit of deception has crept into churches. I'm going to preach before I'm done here today. Not knocking anybody. Not here to name anybody. God knows I need prayer as much as anybody. So I'm not here to cast stones or aspersions or, or be critical. But I want to tell you this. That we have the same conflict going on in churches. You see, the problem is, is that preachers want to be liked and churches want to be liked. And we want to fit in and we want society to accept us. And so when society begins to reject truth, pastors start backing up from certain subjects. They don't want to talk about certain issues. Because they don't want to be tagged. They don't want to be labeled on social media, you know. In this social media generation, we want likes. <laughs> How many followers you got? Well, after that last message, not too many. <laughs> That's what some pastors are thinking. So they're real careful about what they preach. And you know what they end up preaching? Opinions, culture, personal ex- preferences, politics, denominationalism, and religion instead of the word of almighty God. Amen. And just like with the news media, after hearing it so many times, we begin to believe that it must be the truth, right? Virgin birth doesn't matter. Who knows if Jesus really rose again? Kind of doubt it. You know? It's metaphoric anyway, so who cares? Noah's Ark? I'll get real. Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is literally the attitude. 
that many people take. I'll give you an example of this. And I'm not meaning to be offensive. But if anybody is offended by what I'm about to say, it is indicative that the culture has affected you in a way you didn't even know. And that is, take, for example, abortion. We have heard for so long that it's a woman's choice that if you believe anything other than that and you say the Bible is opposed to it, you, sir, are an intolerant bigot. And the church you belong to is filled with bigots. And after a while, Christianity gets labeled. And after a while, in an effort to be, but we are loving and kind, pastors kind of think, I wonder how I can soften the edges around something like that. And maybe the best thing to do is avoid the subject altogether and leave it out. That is not the best approach. There is a spirit of deception that is sweeping through the world right now. And Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word of Almighty God. Now here's where I disagree with some of the things that we used to find in churches years ago. You know, you go to churches years ago, they'd tell you you're going to hell and act like they were glad about it. You're going to hell. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. That's not the spirit you're supposed to have either. We ought to love everybody. I will love you, embrace you. I don't care who you are, what you're doing. I will love you. Jesus sat down and had supper with sinners. He was a friend of sinners and publicans. Hello, somebody. He could make a sinner woman taken in the act of adultery feel comfortable at his feet. People ought to know they are loved when they walk in the house of God Almighty. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 4, take heed that no man deceives you. This is what Amos said. Amos 8 and 11, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God. Who said it? <laughs> the Lord God. That I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. There's a famine. You don't hear the word of God preached anymore in many places. Like I said, it's opinions, it's culture, it's politics, it's religion, it's denominationalism. That won't save you. Please, can we not build our faith upon the word of God? It's the only thing that's going to stand. All other else is sinking sand. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what Paul said, 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, see that? It's your preferences that matter. It's what I like. And we are, when it comes to churches, we shop for churches like, uh, should we have Whataburger or McDonald's today? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You're making a big mistake. When the only people you will listen to are those who preach to you what you want to hear. Amen. 
And this spirit of deception is actually the spirit of Antichrist. We read about him in Revelation 6, verses 1 through 2. When the seals were opened, the very first one that was opened, this is what happened. John said, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, come see. And I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. I've heard people try to interpret that and say that that's the return of Christ. It is not. Christ comes back to conquer with peace. Later in the book of Revelation, he's riding a white horse. On his head are already many crowns. He's wearing the crown of cancer, wearing the crown of HIV, wearing the, you name what you've been through, he's already conquered it. Do you hear me? He conquered it at the cross. And out of his mouth is a sharp sword that is the word of God Almighty. And he is, on his thigh there is a name written. And he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the real Christ. This one is a counterfeit. He's riding on a white horse like the one who will come back later. But he's conquering with a bow. A bow is a weapon of war. He has arrows. He has an intentional strategy that he is using. Every time you turn on television. Listen to the news media. Pow. University professors. I could go on and on and on with this. You're hearing things that are programming you. And it's conquering. And the spirit of the Antichrist is working. Did you know that it was already at work even in Paul's day? Listen to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2. And I'm getting through this. And this is the longest point I'll make. And then I'll go faster. Chapter 2, verse 5 through 12, Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica. And he said, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you these things for the mystery of lawlessness. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Lawlessness. Whoa. Boy, if we have ever lived in a generation of lawlessness, it is right now. How about chop? Your law don't work here. It's already at work. Only he who now restrains. Wait a minute. Something is restraining. We'll do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. That they might be saved. Boy, talk about a time when you need to be in Wednesday night Bible study. Kind of slip that one in. Just look at pastor and say, he's shrewd. You know what you think? Amen. You weren't expecting that one. And for this cause, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul is saying that in his day there was a restraining force that would not allow the spirit of antichrist and lawlessness to take over. But someday that spirit that is restraining, that restraining force will be drawn back. And to the same measure that that spirit that restrains lawlessness is pulled back. Remember nature abhors a vacuum. Lawlessness will rush in. That's where we're living right now. 
We're living in a time when lawlessness rushes in to replace the restraining force of the Holy Spirit because people are rejecting the truth of God. And that leads us to the very next sign, sign number two, which is persecution of Christians. Both Jesus and Paul told us that persecution would come to believers in the last days. Unfortunately, in America, we have this really strange way of looking at life. If it doesn't happen to us and our family and all around us in our immediate vicinity, we don't think it's happening anywhere. But the book of Revelation says that there is a time coming that persecution of believers will be so severe that it will even turn deadly. According to a recent study by the Pew Research Group, Christians are being harassed in 128 nations around the world right now. In China and in India and the Muslim nations of the world, being a Christian can now carry a death sentence. Missionaries we support in India are being persecuted and killed. I'm talking about your missionaries that you give money for, churches you help build are being torn down, beaten. You can go on YouTube and see the videos. I'm not making that up. And it's happening around the world. You know, everybody's talking about let's be tolerant and loving each other and, you know, and everything. And and don't dare say anything that will upset anybody that's a Muslim. And I am not for any kind of phobia against people of other faiths. Love everybody. I've already told you that. But I'll remind you that I said it. But while the same time that they're saying don't offend anybody that's a Muslim, it is open season on Christians. When was the last time you saw any kind of a show come out of Hollywood or on television or in the media that was, did not portray Christians as being anything but normal and fanatical and deceptive and bigoted? You can't remember the last time you saw a Christian portrayed in a good light. We've even in this pandemic watched religious freedoms be trampled under our feet. We have. I'm for everybody. Well, you know, I wore one of these on the platform. I'm for everybody taking all the safety precautions and measures you can. I do it constantly. You reach out to shake hand, I'm going to throw my elbow up at you. There would have been a time I'd been so offended if somebody would. I was wondering, they trying to be karate kid on me or something. But not anymore. Of course we want to observe the health protocols but do you know in some states churches can't meet at all in others you cannot exceed 10 persons in attendance in others you cannot exceed 25 and others you can't exceed 50 yet you can pack the aisles to shop for christmas in those same states please explain that to me i would like to understand what that means they act like the only place you can get COVID is at church And if anybody does get it and two or three people get infected at a church service, it is international news around the world at a church. Somebody got COVID. I don't know if you realize this or not. The numbers are spiking right now. Apparently people can get it. Don't mean to scare you, but in places other than church.
Heaven help us. But you will never hear about a super spreader event in aisle 14 at Walmart. Churches have been intentionally targeted. I even had members of this church tell me they don't believe churches have been targeted. All you have to do is stop watching the one channel you watch and look for some more news and you will see they are being targeted. And listen, I won't tell you what really is the rub for me. It's when the governors, the mayors, and the judges and the legislatures who give us these laws to observe don't obey them themselves. That's the problem that I have. When you have a Governor Newsom going to a birthday party, when you have people going to anniversaries and they tell you you can't get with your own family for Thanksgiving, but they don't mind it. Close the restaurants, but they're at a, they're a little restaurant they found themselves. You, know, you look, the hypocrisy, the double standard is appalling. You can't do it, but I can. That doesn't sit very well with us. And what is ultimately at stake is religious freedom. Number three, wars. Matthew 24, 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In other words, wars would be a sign of the end, but not necessarily of the second coming or even the destruction of the temple. It was destroyed in a war, AD 70. But the, pro, but the acceleration in the number of wars is more indicative of the sign of the end of time. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against king, kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. Revelation 6, second seal. The first one was the spirit of Antichrist released. The second was a rider on a red horse. What's the red the color of? Blood. What else is it the color of? Communism. Rider on a red horse. Power was given to him to take peace from the earth that people would kill one another. What John is seeing is a general time of war, but also a general lack of regard for human life and a general state of lawlessness. Peace is taken. People are being killed. In fact, one out of four will be killed in that period. Later on, one third of those who survived that event are going to be killed. And before it's all over with, it is estimated that approximately one half of humanity will die at the end of time. That is scary. And this pandemic has made people begin to wonder what's going on. Am I saying that it's about to happen right now? No, I don't have a crystal ball. God didn't show up and give me a dream. And if he did, you should doubt it. If I tell you, I know when the Lord is coming, don't you believe a word of it? I don't. Nobody does. But I will tell you, there is a general season when everybody ought to be like, uh, what's going on? Better get ready. People, get ready. There's a train coming. Looking at this passage makes me think of Chicago on the weekend. <laughs> Or what happened in Portland or Seattle? 
Number four, famines. Notice that in verse seven, Jesus also said there would be famines. This is significant. What you have not heard is that as a result of COVID and the economic shutdowns, the United Nations World Food Program, WFP, says we're on the verge of the largest famines the world has ever seen. There it is from the United Nations News. And they said next year, that the world will be experiencing the worst famines that we have seen as a result of the economic shutdowns caused by COVID-19. That you haven't heard about. Number five, pandemics. Jesus talked about those too, didn't he? Because remember what he said. He said not only would there be these wars and rumors of wars and all of this, nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, but there would be famines and pestilences in diverse places. I probably don't even need to say much about pandemics because we're in the middle of the worst the world has ever seen. Amen. But did you know that right during the middle of this same time that modern medicine that had all but eradicated diseases like polio and tuberculosis tell us they're coming back only now they're super strains of these same diseases that are resistant to bacteria uh, uh, rather to to uh, antibiotics pandemics and when will this one go away I don't know how do we know there's not another one just over the curvature of the earth that we haven't seen yet marching this way number six earthquakes the national earthquake information center tells us there are at least 20,000 earthquakes recorded each year now of significance that doesn't count the many thousands and tens of thousands of aftershocks that they don't even count. That's an average of 55 serious earthquakes a day right now. And they keep telling us that major earthquakes are overdue in places like California, Yellowstone National Park, that there could be a major volcanic eruption there that would basically wipe out the entire west coast of the United States and would create such a cloud of dust that it would obliterate sunlight hinder the growing season for food and issue in, bring in possibly a new cold age. Hmm. Number seven, another sign of the last days, catastrophic weapons of destruction. When you study the book of Revelation, the book of Joel and some other places, you'll find some interesting things. For example, Joel talked about pillars of smoke. Have you ever seen the test firing of an intercontinental ballistic missile? Looks just like a pillar of smoke. Revelation talks about a star called wormwood or bitterness that's going to come during the tribulation. Is that a meteor or is it the re-entry of a nuclear missile into our atmosphere? Who knows? All I know is shortly after it hits, one-third of the earth will die. One-fourth died in Revelation 6. Now one-third more of those who survive will die. In case you don't Get the point here, and I need to emphasize it. If your hope is built on anything less than Jesus Christ, and you're saying, Our Father, which art in Washington, D.C., hallowed be thy name, they don't have any answers. Hello, somebody. Amen. You say, you're scaring me. Not by intention. What I want you to do is as we focus on these passages, realize this is about him. 
You are his child. You are covered by the blood. You are safe. Your name is written in the book of life. I can almost see the umpire at the World Series. Safe! You are safe. Stay where you need to be in God. Number eight, and I'm closing. Last loss of basic morality. Have you noticed that in the last century, people began to find convenient reasons to blur the lines and equivocate when it came to basic morality? And I'm talking about morality of life and morality of lifestyles. In Germany, World War II, six and one half million Jews were exterminated while Christians looked the other way. People who were there told the story of being in a Lutheran church. I believe it was in Munich. I visited Dachau, by the way. You see the scratch marks on the gas chambers in some of these concentration camps. They were handing it a bar of soap. Their clothes were taken away. said, go in here, take a shower. And instead of water coming out the spigots, poisonous gas came out. And they, they, they clawed concrete walls and left scratch marks on the walls that are still there in some of those gas chambers. It's horrific. Well, they were loading Jews into boxcars, train station right beside a Lutheran church. And they were having Sunday morning service and you could hear the cries of the Jewish people and their children as they protested being crammed into these boxcars. They were being shipped off to be, ex- be, to be exterminated. And the pastor was leading the service and the people were distracted because right outside the window was the train station loading these people. And this is what he said. Sing a little louder. A fortress. How can you sit in church and sing a mighty fortress is our God? Well, just outside the window, they're loading people up to kill them. But you know what? The lines of morality became blurred. And that's why between Stalin and Hitler and Mao of China, it is estimated that in the last century, over 100 million people were murdered. And everybody during that time that was a part of those regimes thought it was wonderful because we have a better world. Well, that not only affected the way people look at politics, but it had an effect on the way we look at life. And in 1973, they signed Roe versus Wade. And since then, 65 million babies have been aborted. And everybody says, that's a woman's choice. But it's also true of lifestyles. Because what are the plague of immorality and divorce that's going on right now? Number nine, in just a couple of minutes, I'm done. Artificial intelligence. One of the signs that John saw in Revelation that is absolutely stunning and it would have been physically impossible for him to have had some context in which to frame this because he had nothing in his world, nothing in his experience in life that would would have prepared him to be able to interpret what he saw. But this is what the scripture says that he wrote. He talked about, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those means of signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image, it's man made, to the beast who was wounded by a sword and lived. 
And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. John saw man make something that began to speak and ration, rather reason, and to be able to compute. And this in a world without computers. They didn't have a telephone iPad and we're there now Elon Musk with his chip that he wants to put in the brain right Bill Gates and others saying the biggest threat to the survival of the human race is AI artificial intelligence we're there and what this system did it became responsible for maintaining and enforcing a new world economic system that everyone had to participate in or they would not be allowed to purchase or to transact business. And that brings me to the final sign, which is the new economic order. This final sign will work closely with what I will talk about Wednesday night when I talk about the four Babylons. There's an economic Babylon, there's a historical Babylon, there's a political Babylon, and there's a religious Babylon. And this new economic order is what John described as the mark of the beast. And we read it in Revelation 13, 16 through 18. He calls us all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads. Notice it said a mark. A mark. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. At the time that John lived, it would have been physically impossible for that kind of thing to have occurred. But this was in the news two weeks ago. Amazon test Whole Foods payment system that uses the hand as an ID and a little spoof Jeff Bezos put on some pointed ears like we are really Star Trekky here now you know we're living in the future what you do you can read the article pull it up instead of money put your hand under a machine that assigns your hand a numerical value you say oh <laughs> And that's years down the road. It's not going to happen. Really? Well, this is what the BBC says is going on right now. Chips under the skin. There's their reporter getting his put in his hand. He's saying, ouch. <laughs> and he's having a chip put under his skin of his hand to replace cash and credit cards. You say, well, that's, that's BBC, man. I mean, like that's London. That, this is America. Okay. NBC touts chip implant in place of cards, cash, and this is the video that they made that they showed on NBC News of the chip. Hello? When Elias Broadberger goes to work, he doesn't need ID. And he doesn't need money. In fact, much of what he needs to get through the day is hidden right there, just below the surface, in his hand. You like to touch it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah, it's yeah. like a grain of rice. Yeah, a grain of rice. 
Embedded in his hand is a microchip that serves as his keys, his ID, and his wallet. Yeah, it's all on chip, so I use it like to get around the building. Buy snacks. Yeah, exactly. Let's buy some snacks. Exactly. So I can't open it. No. Okay. So what I need to do is I need to first blip my chip and it will log me in. Mm -hmm. And from there I get access to the bridge. Popular TV shows like Black Mirror have imagined chips as part of a dystopian future. Install ingrained procedure with local anesthetic and you're good to go. In Sweden, the microchips are already here. The microchip implants use the same technology that's in contactless credit cards. Which have made cash pretty much obsolete in Sweden. No cash. At this tech fair, a chipping event for those on the cutting edge, merging their hands with this new technology. I thought it would be fun, right? The process is simple and swift. A pinch of the skin, and in a matter of seconds, the chip is inserted. The transformation is complete. As for the pain... I barely felt it. I read about that in the Bible. NBC, in an article on socioeconomic history, talked about it as well. And they wondered, is this what the mark of the beast that we've heard about all of our lives is going to be? The Washington Post had an article about it as well. The Washington Post mentioned the very same thing. And firms are already microchipping employees. Payment Source, which talks about new innovative techniques for payment, says chips under the skin of the hand will conduct future business transactions and financial transactions. The Daily Mail talked about in Sweden to get on a train, all you have to do is don't worry about money. You've ever been to New York, the subway system, you don't need those cards anymore. You don't have to buy, you know, passes. You just walk up, put your hand under the machine, it scans it. John called it a mark. Why a mark? Because it, all he could see, John didn't have x-ray vision. All he could see was the mark left where it had been inserted. Is that maybe what was going on? And then... Google asked, will microchip implants be the next big thing in Europe? I close. Doomsday clock, one minute, 40 seconds to midnight. Ha ha, far-fetched pastor. Maybe not as far-fetched as you might have believed before this service. We might be nearer than you think. And the question every one of us ought to be asking is, how are we serving God? Are we raising our families, teaching them the word of God? Are we putting a priority on Christ? How much does church mean to you? How much does serving God mean to you? How much does God mean to you? Religious instruction, Sunday school for your children. Living the life six days of the week when you're not at church. Because these days, like I said, truth is no longer an absolute. You move the goalpost anywhere you want to move it, right? Don't you tell me that I am not right. How dare you? You violated my sovereign privilege as an individual. Truth is absolute. 
and we need Jesus. And Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. All roads don't lead to God. I'm sorry that Oprah said that. Because it's not true. Not all roads lead to God. Some roads lead to a place called hell. And you need to be teaching your kids that. Now at the same time, teach them to love everybody. We don't want that hate and that bad attitude that churches were known for for many years. We want to love people. But at the same time, I want to love you so much that I introduce you to the one who shed his blood. That you can be saved and go to heaven someday and be a child of God. You can be in relationship with Jesus Christ. You can know him as your Lord and as your Savior. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he cares for you.